0: Welcome to another episode of the Britsand Academy podcast. This is the show for online course creators who want to build a profitable business by sharing your skills and knowledge. This is your host, Welly Mulia. If you're not listening to this on our website, go to academy.birdzen.co/six to get your show notes. This show is brought to you by Britsand email marketing tool, the only email marketing tool specifically created for online course creators. Get your free forever account at birdsend.co That's bird as in the flying bird and send as in sending emails, birdsend.co. Today's special guest is Nick Loper. Nick is a TEDx speaker and chief site hustler at sitehustlernation.com, which is a growing community and resource for aspiring and part-time entrepreneurs. Named the best entrepreneurship blog in 2016, the site covers online business, freelancing, e-commerce, and dozens of other ways to make money outside of a traditional job. Nick hates the word deserve, and he wants to cold showers for 500 days in a row. So without further ado, let's welcome Nick to the show. Nick, it's great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. Cool.
0: So you once took cold showers for 500 days in a row. Uh, <laughs> what was what's that about?
2: Not recommended. No, actually it was, um, it was a pretty cool experience. So it started with a recording on the side hustle show where the guest was like, oh, you got to try this cold shower thing. He started it, um, as kind of a fat loss thing. It was like, Mm -hmm. okay, um, because I guess there's some thermodynamics at play. And this is the reason Michael Phelps could eat like six thousand calories a day. Because it's like you're spending some energy swimming in his case, but you're also spending energy like keeping your body warm. You're like expending calories doing that. And so he started doing the cold shower thing as a way to, you know, boost his metabolism in a way. And he was like, Come on, give it a shot for thirty days. You know, what do you have to lose? And I was like, that sounds awful. But when I did it, I started to you know, get more coaching clients. I started to get, you know, just things started to kind of fall into place in a weird way. It could have mm-hmm. been totally placebo, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing this because I feel better, and uh, we'll keep at it. So, I lasted about uh, a year and a half, and nowadays I try and end cold, but in the winter that's a little bit tough. So as as we warm up, I'll uh, I'll get back into it.
0: Okay, cool. So you mentioned that. Uh, this is leading, uh, I mean, taking these cold showers more than a year in a row It's is helping you in your business. Uh, why do you think um, that is psychologically or maybe ment- um, you know, physically as well?
2: Yeah, the psychological part of it is like, okay, here is something that is uncomfortable. Here's something that is challenging, but it's not life-threatening. You're going to get through it and you're going to yell a little bit, and you're going to feel great when it's over. And I think that applies to a lot of the stuff we work on on a day-to-day basis. It's not always going to be easy, but if you're going do to the, do the work, do the reps, and you're going to come out the other side, you're going to feel better for it.
0: Mm. Okay, cool. Physically, does it do anything to <laughs> your body?
2: I do, well, supposedly it has fat loss benefits. I don't. Thankfully didn't have a ton of weight to lose. So I don't know if that was uh, a thing But you do feel you feel good when it's over and you feel good I guess in the moment too because you're like I'm I'm doing this thing. That's hard. I Don't know <laughs> You ever have you ever done it?
0: Uh, I just started doing it like beginning of the Month, so it's like only 10, 10 plus days Okay, but it's it's, it's for my that's a pretty good streak yeah I mean for myself it's it's pretty good, like like you said just now it it feels uh pretty good, like you're feeling awesome like um, this is cold and you're doing something that is uncomfortable yeah so I, I, I it's it's been ten plus days but but it's so so far so good
1: it'll it'll wake you up for sure
0: yeah all right so uh Nick uh the reason I brought you for this episode is because I know that you are big into side hustling. And I know that you also used to do that. You side hustle your way into a full-time business on your, of your own. So for people listening to this, and I know that there are a lot of people who are trying to get out of their job and then starting their own business full-time. So what do you think is the one misconception about side hustling?
2: Um, that it's easy, that everybody should do it. It's, uh, it's a challenge. It's a lot like the cold shower thing. It's hard to kind of get the traction needed to make a meaningful dent in, in your, in your quality of life. It's, it's, um, it's worth it um, for, for me, or it was worth it for me. It's worth it for a lot of people because it's really empowering once you see those, um, see that income coming in, but it's, Usually, slower than people would like, and usually harder than people would like. I don't know has that been your experience?
0: yeah, that's been my experience as well as other people's experience that I talked to like people who are running business and they previously have a corporate job. yeah, definitely, yeah.
2: the the paycheck is so steady. you clock in, you clock out, you do your thing. With, you know, probably one of the fastest side hustles to get off the ground is similar, and that would be just freelancing or consulting, saying, here are some skills that I have, and trying to find out people who have some problems that you could solve with those skills. And that could be, you know, in person, that could be locally, like a a recent guest on the show was just doing a knife sharpening business. We've had people doing cleaning services, and I just got off the phone with the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, where, you know, they'll come bring a big old truck to your driveway and take away all the crap that you don't want. So it could be a service business like that, which is relatively affordable and quick to start because you don't need to create a product. You don't necessarily need an audience. You can just go to town and try and find customers. And then the next tier or one of the more common tiers after that is like a product based business. It could be physical products, could be digital products. But that usually has an inventory cost or a time creation cost on the digital product side. And then the third common business model that I deal with a lot is an audience business. So this would be, I'm going to blog, I'm going to podcast, I'm going to create content for YouTube. And over time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build up this following and then I can have ad income and sponsorships and affiliate income and I also have the flexibility to sell products and services if I want to from there too. So those kind of the three primary business models that, uh, that we tend to cover on uh, the Side Hustle Show.
0: Okay. So with these three methods of uh, producing income, the, the one you recommend just now is to deliver a service because that's the easiest. You don't have to create a product. How do you go about How do you go about finding the audience? Because when you want to sell the service, you also need to have a targeted audience.
2: Sure. So for me, one of the first businesses that I started, first kind of real business that did any sort of volume was a residential painting business. And so the way I found customers was going door to door. You can think of, you know, marketing as the challenge of getting in front of your customers' in their natural habitat or in in terms of the maybe the people they're already doing business with mm-hmm. so for example a friend of mine does uh, seo services and so he has set up strategic partnerships with like graphic design services, or, you know, some other maybe accounting offices or something like that, where it's like, okay, these types of um, small business customers are already hiring out these other services, but those companies don't specialize in SEO, so they can send referral business his way. Another way uh, for a service business that I thought was really cool was uh, a guest on the podcast, Joshua Lysik. It was kind of like an offline webinar model where he was doing web I don't know, web development and, and kind of like copywriting for uh, for local businesses too. And so he called up the local uh, accounting office where his target customers were already doing business and said, hey, tell you what, I would like to host this one hour free workshop during lunch hour in uh, in your conference room. You provide the conference room, I'll provide the sandwiches. I want to come in and talk about the seven deadly sins of web design or the seven common mistakes you're probably making with your website. You invite your customer base, Mr. Accountant, and I'll come and deliver this presentation. No pitch, no nothing, you know, totally free. And even even before he pulls up his PowerPoint, like he's already positioned as the expert in The minds of everybody who is attending that it makes the accountant look good because he's like providing them extra value for free outside of his normal accounting services Mm -hmm. and it makes joshua look like a rock star and by the end of the presentation no pitch during the presentation everybody's coming up giving him their business card saying we need to schedule a meeting like this is great Mm -hmm.
0: stuff Um, just now you said you when you first got started you, you are doing the residential services can you talk to us more about that
2: Yeah, this was my college business painting houses in the summers. So I'd go out in the evenings, uh, kind of during spring semester and knock on doors Mm -hmm. and try and drum up, um, leads and then go out, go back out on the weekends to do estimates and book those jobs for June, July, August and, uh, made a little business out of that. That was actually underneath, uh, one of the college painting kind of franchise operations called College Works Painting in the States. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, That was like my first taste of working for profits and not wages. And it was crazy stressful, like a bunch of 19-year-olds with paint sprayers, as you might imagine, anything that can go wrong does go wrong. And it's on you to clean it up. So it was kind of stressful, but it was also really rewarding to be able to stand back um, from the sidewalk at the end of the week and see the transformation that you made on these houses and and then look back at the end of the summer and say "Hey, we did that 20 times 25 times
0: mm. so uh, where did you transition after that after the business did you go into some kind of other business
2: um, the next business um, was a footwear comparison shopping site and that was kind of the original side hustle of mine after graduation and that one kind of started in a similar way through an internship in college with this. Um, it was a brick and mortar shoe store in Seattle that, back in the day, had the wild and crazy idea to start putting their inventory online and seeing if anybody would buy it. And you know, by the time I came on board, the online side of their business had grown, you know, tremendously compared to the brick and mortar shop. And so I was—that was my first exposure to affiliate marketing, to Google AdWords, to SEO, um, to e-commerce really. And that was really helpful in getting, it kind of gave me the idea for the comparison shopping site for shoes because it's like, I don't want to send traffic to, you know, one, <laughs> I don't want to send traffic to one product page if they don't have the best, uh, if they don't have the best deal. So it's was like, okay, let's build a database out and, uh, sort that by price you know bring in everybody's catalog and see where you can get these and as it turned out you know a lot of times people would click on several different links trying to find the exact size they were looking for
0: so nick what was life back then before you you became successful like you are now i know you talk a little bit about your background with the painting uh experience and then the uh the shoe experience just now but um can you talk to us through like how you got uh, to where you are right now?
2: A lot of work and a lot of patience, um, specifically with the Side Hustle Nation brand. You know, if I, I... was I was looking at these numbers with my wife the other day. I was like, why did I keep this going? Like nobody was tuning in at the beginning, but there was just enough traction to make it interesting. The content was really interesting to produce. And I mean, as you know, hosting a podcast, fantastic excuse to talk to people you want to talk to, who sometimes charge $1,000 an hour for their, you know, consulting, but it's like, hey, you want to come on my podcast? And they essentially, you know, are coaching you for for free. So I've learned a lot uh, from my guests in that point, or in that standpoint. But I mean, that's what it was, it's was kind of just the persistence in trying to build this thing up. And it's been a ton of fun like this is one of the longest projects that um that i've worked on and continued to do it because it's still fun it's still interesting there's there are way more projects that i want to tackle that i know i'm never going to have time to do and i think that's on the one hand it's frustrating but i think that's a good sign because you know that that's where your like creative juices are really firing
1: Hmm. okay
0: when did you start South nation.
2: In early 2013. Okay. So we're coming up on six years. Okay.
0: So in the beginning days, your you said that the your podcast is basically little to no one listening. <laughs> yeah, and and um, so how did you how did you get the motivation to keep going? Because I know like just when you say your your wife is you're talking to your wife and she, maybe she's also saying. Hey, nobody's listening. Why, are you keep, why do you keep <laughs> spending time doing this? How did you? Uh, I know persistence, but what else? There must be something else that like, keeps you going because when you see, you don't see any uh, listeners or maybe your numbers, nobody is visiting your site, then uh, someone can get down easily. And I think that's a lot of, that's what's happening to a lot of people uh, in the beginning stages of their uh, career or business. So what are your tips on on getting through past that first barrier, because that is the the hardest thing to to do to move uh, to move a train, right? But once you get it going, it, it has momentum attraction.
2: Hey, it's so true, and I'm I'm going to see if I can pull up the uh, mm-hmm. the download statistics just to show you what <laughs> what I'm talking about, like how dismal it was. But at that time, it was going. In the right direction even though the numbers weren't huge they were like trending up which i thought was a good sign and i was getting some engagement some feedback from listeners um, i was at a uh, at a conference at, at podcast movement a few years ago and the speaker up on the stage was cliff ravenscraft from uh, podcast answer man and he said one of the common questions that he gets was framed around like i i only get 200 listeners an episode what am I doing wrong I only get 200 listeners an episode how can I grow that and his advice was to first of all stop saying only because 200 people is if you were up on stage in front of 200 people like you you might get nervous that's a lot of people to be talking to Mm -hmm. um and at at the time there was only maybe 200 people in the room and it was a you know pretty crowded conference ballroom type of type of setup um so his advice was to you know Try and get engagement in any way you can. You probably have a chance to know these people on a first-name basis through comments on the website, through connections on social media. So trying to do that, figuring out what they want, trying to turn them into advocates for you. I recently talked to uh, Jack Spirko from the Survival Podcast. Huge, huge podcast, started 10 years ago, driving down the freeway in his car. Um, What he did early on was to try and turn his his you know, initial listeners into advocates for him and say, Hey, I'm going to give away a, he said it was an iPod back in the day, if you can help me spread the word. And so what people ended up doing, they were posting it on forums, they were posting it on websites, and, you know, helped him kind of amplify his reach through the people that he already had. And I think that's how most content grows, especially podcast content, because it's not as easily searchable. It's like, you know, how do you tap into that word of mouth? And I think it's by creating something that is compelling, that's you know sh- worthy of sharing.
0: Was when you first started Site Hustle Nation, was podcast already a part of it, or did you eventually uh, start blogging and then uh, podcast came uh, later on?
2: Yeah, I started the blog and the podcast at the same time. the The thing was the. The blog kind of redirected from an old personal blog of mine. So that wasn't starting completely from scratch. It just was under now a new brand and a a renewed focus. And over the years, have deleted most of that old content just because it was not relevant to the stuff that I was talking about. That was, you know, random (laughs) rants about current events and pictures from our vacation and just, you know, a total personal blog.
0: Okay. Did you... Did you manage to build your audience, like build an email list of people who are who are reading your blog back very on early in the days?
2: The the email list was kind of slow to grow, and for me, what the inflection point was. So I'm about fourteen months into the show, um, you know, sixty something episodes into the show, and realizing that. It's never going to be, you know, a huge moneymaker in terms of sponsorships. Like, that seems to be, you know, how, like, okay, I'm going to build this podcast. I'm going to make money from ads. Like, that's the the business model that most people consider. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to realize that the show is content marketing. Like, you know, you, I, don't, I still don't have a really great, like, offer you know for people, but a, a lot of people will build a podcast to sell their service to sell a course or something like that. I still don't really have that. But it was a shift in in recognizing that the show was content marketing and treating it as such that was really an inflection point for the show and for the the site in general. Um, so fourteen months in, probably had around a thousand people on the email list. so it was not it was not huge. And at that point started creating these episode specific, lead magnets that people could download. Basically, summaries of the shows, summaries of the episodes. Hey, you're out driving, you're walking the dog, you're at the gym. Um, My guest is dropping hopefully some, you know, important nuggets and action items and tidbits. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're not in a place to take notes. Don't worry, we did it for you. You know, you can download all that stuff for free at sidehustlenation.com slash blah, blah, blah. And within three months of doing that, I had three thousand on the list. Within six months, I had six thousand. So it was a huge, huge turning point um, in starting to do that. In terms of, you know, taking an anonymous listener to now somebody that I could reach out to again and again through email.
0: Okay, cool. So what are your what are your income streams right now? Where where do they come from? Like you have the blog, the content, the podcast, sponsorships. And how, how else, uh, what other methods do you make money from, from all of this?
2: Okay, now we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. Um, I did finally pull up the ellipse in statistics. So, uh, sure, tell us about it. So one year into the show, May 2014, uh, was right around 9,000 downloads for the entire month. And a year, but then it just compounds after that, because a year after that, Was close to 70,000. So it was just huge, huge growth in that second year. Um, and maybe it hit kind of the, that tipping point. So 70,000 in 2015 and then 2016 was 107,000. 2017 in May was 195,000. So it just kind of continues to compound. If you can get, if you can get through that first year or 18 months where nobody is tuning in or relatively few people are tuning in, I think, you know, then you start to see the, the compound effect, and people have told me the same thing on YouTube, where it might take six months to get your first thousand subscribers, but then it might take just another six months to get to ten thousand, and then another six months to get to twenty. Like it starts to really, really compound. But as far as income streams for me, sponsorship on the podcast has eventually turned into, you know, five years later has turned into uh, a pretty decent income stream. Affiliate offers on the site, and occasionally through the email list, and then the third leg of the stool is my own side hustle. Experiments and investments and projects. So I still have. I don't have the shoe site anymore, but still have a couple other affiliate sites. This category might include self-publishing and online courses and playing around on Fiverr and uh, just you know alternative investment strategies, trying to build some cash flow um, that way.
0: Hmm. What is your the biggest source of uh, income for you for from all of these models?
2: Um, Affiliate marketing
0: affiliate. Okay, cool. Uh, interesting, you said just now May 2014, you have about 1000 downloads, and then uh, a year later, it's become 70,000. That is a huge growth. How, what do you think is the the, the factor for that? What did you do between that, that year that that made a huge jump?
1: Just continue to
2: try and, try and do good, good radio. <laughs> it's like I can barely form a sentence, but you know, really focused on the show. So around, so mid 2014 is when I stopped doing the shoe business to focus on the blog and podcast full time. Mm -hmm. So you can see, you start to see, um, you know, a, a pretty good growth curve around that time. I always tend to see a spike around the new year. So Mm -hmm. from, from December to January of 2014 to 2015, it was almost double so there's a lot of new people coming into the fold around that time. And then hopefully they've, I imagine they found it, thought it was cool, shared it with their friends and it kind of can snowball from there.
0: Okay. Initially, when you were just trying getting traction for your podcast, did you, uh, of course you're going, you, you, you let your audience know. If you have an email list, of course you, you mail them out. Apart from that, did you do any kind of optimization in uh, iTunes or, you know, These types of channels, did you did you have uh, any tips to share?
2: So consider iTunes as a search engine, and they've kind of cracked down on this in in the past few months over people like over optimizing their show titles and their author tags because iTunes, you know, so so rather than you know (laughs) improve their second grade algorithm, um, what they've done has just been booting shows off their platform hey you're Mm. you know you're spamming your keyword title you can't do that um but something to consider if you're starting a new show you know what do you name your show you know the side hustle show ranked really well for people searching for side hustle in that search engine just like um it was at a presentation from uh, John Lee Dumas, and he's like, I'm on page 17 if you Google entrepreneurs or something. But if you search iTunes for entrepreneur, I'm like number two. And of course, that's years ago, and he's had to change his name uh, a few times since then. Um, so consider it as a search engine. The title of your show, the author tag, um, are the two fields that they're crawling for You know, broad level stuff, uh, not the description. So don't worry too much about your description. But then the episode titles as well are getting crawled. So I was, on, um, I was on a podcast, uh, this was a couple of years ago, and they did what you're supposed to do. Is, hey, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Your episode is live today. Click here to check it out. And I click on the link, and what they've, they've named this episode 36 mm-hmm. Nick Loper. And I was like, this is awful. Like, who cares? You know, were, give me some keywords. What, what am I going to learn if I tune in? Uh, what is this all about? You know, what's in it for me? Right. And if you can put those keywords, because I occasionally will search for for specific uh, people or specific topics in iTunes and other podcast directories to learn about Instagram marketing or to learn about you know something else and just download a bunch of episodes on that one topic. So if you can work that into your episode title, it's another chance for people to discover you.
0: What do you think is the number one problem people face when, when they're trying to quit their job and start their own business? Well, I'm just going through the...
2: 2019 Side Hustle Nation member survey results. So I'll probably have a better answer for you uh, in the next uh, week or two. But the biggest, let just here. Let me pull. I can pull up the stats from 2017. So the big three <laughs> that that come up over and over again are, you know, the time to get it done. Like if I only had 30 hours in the day, sure, this would be fantastic. Hmm. Um, it would be finding the right idea. Um, you know, how do I know? this is going to work? How do I validate it? How do I know it's going to work for me? Is it worth time and energy to invest into it? Because who knows where that leads? And then it's the growth and marketing uh, part of the puzzle. It's like, once I pick something, how do I get in front of customers? How do I grow? How do I scale this thing? Those are kind of the big three that come up uh, over and over again.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, I ask this question a lot in In these kind of podcast interviews and the usual suspects come up like you said just now especially with the marketing I don't have enough time um, and as as well as the is it is this worth pursuing or not so what is your what how do you think people can overcome this
1: if the idea is worth pursuing
0: Um, you mentioned three just now so I would like to explore uh, one by one, maybe the time first. How, okay, how, sure. How, how can people have more time?
2: Well, that's the bad news. You're never <laughs> going to find more time. You're kind of limited by by the 24 hours in the day, laws of physics, and all that stuff. But what you can do is make your you know you always you always have time for your priorities. And if you're prioritizing spending time with your kids, going to the gym sleeping, you know, if you're prioritizing watching TV or Netflix, like that's fine, but be honest with yourself because this is I'm I'm as guilty as anybody in saying, "Well, I didn't have time." And what I've tried to start doing instead, I'm getting a little bit better at this, is saying I prioritized something else, which which is which sucks to hear as the as the uh, recipient of that. Like my wife is like, how come you didn't do that? Well, I prioritize something else. It's like, well, how come you didn't prioritize doing the dishes? Come on. Um, but being honest with yourself, where where does your time go? Another tool that I've found helpful is just doing a uh, legit like time audit, and I'm in the midst of doing that uh, again uh, right now. And just you know, start time, stop time. You know, what are you working on? What did you get done? During that time, you kind of find, you know, you, you might be surprised where your time actually goes, you know, how much hour, how much slush time you might find in the day. And I find that I'm more productive while I'm on the clock. So it kind of gamifies it in the moment. And that gives me some opportunity to look for things to potentially outsource and delegate and get off my plate. So That's kind of the time thing on the idea front. The good news, so the bad news on time, right, is that it's finite and you're never going to get more hours in the day. The good news on the idea front is that there's no such thing as the perfect idea. And so that kind of frees up the, <laughs> frees up the realm of possibilities a little bit. And maybe one of the big myths is that, you know, you need to come up with this never before seen business hmm. idea. It's so innovative that. It's just, you know, I don't know. It's the next Uber or it's the next uh, Airbnb. It's the next billion-dollar unicorn startup idea. Mm-hmm. For side hustlers, that is, that's fantastic if, you, if that's what you want to build. But for most people, it's like, look, I want to build a lifestyle business. I want something that supports me, supports my family, gives me the income I need to cover my expenses, to quit my job, to travel, to pay off debt, whatever it is. The good news is for an idea like that, you can look at what else is already out there and say okay what are they doing you know they, they've got customers they must be doing something right they how can i do it differently how can i do it better um, one of the frameworks that i really love comes from the tropical mba podcast they called it rip pivot and jam which was basically ripping to, you know taking somebody else's business idea pivoting it to a different industry, different vertical, you know, different spin on it. And then jam is the hustle, the doing the work part of it. So I really like that uh, framework for kind of coming up with a business idea. And if you're short on ideas, um, sidehustlenation.com slash ideas is a constantly updated, you know, list. There's more than 100 on there right now to kind of guide you or at least get the creative juices flowing from, from some things that uh, people are doing and, and that you may be able to do as well. You want to talk about the third one, the growth and marketing thing?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, sure.
2: On uh, so, like we talked about on the marketing front, it's this challenge of getting in front of customers. And we talked about doing that door to door. We talked about doing that through other people's audiences. We talked about doing that through strategic partnerships. So it really depends on you know what you're marketing and who you're trying to market it to. As far as marketing for me, you know, iTunes has been really helpful. Amazon has been really helpful. You know, think of these mini search engines. I call them like these buy buttons platforms where you can kind of be discoverable. YouTube has been a huge one lately and even more so than Google because it apparently indexes immediately rather than, okay, I'm going to hit publish and hopefully maybe in a few months it starts to rank in Google and uh, in YouTube if you hit it right the keywords and the targeting and the content of the video on those first few views and the engagement metrics, you can start to show up on the first page of YouTube for for certain searches. Um, Pinterest has been big for me. As a user-to-content platform, a friend of mine calls Pinterest and Google and YouTube user-to-content platforms. People are searching for specific um you know solutions to their problems, specific answers to their questions on those types of platforms versus Facebook or Twitter, where it's more of a user to user platform. I want to go check out, see what my friends are up to, what my what the people I'm following are are up to. Um, and that's not to say you can't get in front of people on uh, those platforms as well. It's just it can be a little bit more challenging.
0: Did you mention Pinterest as a platform for people who want to search for something? Yes. Okay. Did you find, uh, so you, you, you got good results for people? Because I always thought that I've never tried Pinterest. I always thought that Pinterest is a very, you know, there are pictures, pin. Um, so how would, like, when when somebody go there and search for, for a keyword, for example, they're looking for uh, to solve one of the problems, they go there and then type in a keyword and then an image pops up that solves their problems or potentially solves their problems. Is that how that works?
2: yeah, so the image is a front. The image links to an article in, in most cases. I mean, there's some infographics and there's some like pretty pictures and stuff, but in most cases, the image links to an article. And so when I was on, I was searching the other day for like how to, <laughs> how to talk to kids, like how do, <laughs> how to make my kid calm down or something like that. And you know, there were a handful of articles that I found on there. you know, click them. You kind of can skim through their bullet points and read through these ideas. Mm. and you're on to the next thing. So in that sense it's a like people like in my case people are searching for ways to make extra money, side hustle ideas, you know, how to start a freelancing business, you know, different keywords like that. Similar to what you type into Google and uh, you know you it's another avenue of discovery.
0: Hmm, interesting. Would you say that people um typing into Google would is you know it it doesn't work as well as typing into, in this case, Pinterest.
2: I'm I'm not a Pinterest power user myself, but here's my hypothesis: the Google user is trying to solve a problem immediately that's like pressing, mm-hmm. um, whereas the Pinterest user is like curating a bunch of different ideas, and so you will so you often see on other people's boards, um, you know, bedroom. Decoration ideas and so they have got a they've got a whole bunch of pins on that specific topic or you know Cool wedding invites and so they've got a whole bunch of pins on that certain topic um, whereas it, So they're they're trying to like kind of cast a little bit of a wide net and get a bunch of different opinions Whereas in Google, it's like just tell me the answer <laughs> just solve my problem right now
0: hmm. Interesting Earlier you mentioned about partnerships can you talk us through, like, how how would you approach someone who someone who is cold, like you don't have a previous relationship with, and trying to partner with them on, you know, some ideas or some business? Um, how do you approach people like that? I mean, you, you obviously have the experience because in your early days, I believe that you have um, do these kind of partnerships with people who you haven't heard of.
1: the
2: the best way is probably to not make it cold um to figure out a way to be you know how can you be a warm lead can you get an introduction from a friend can you be a value first before making your ask um those have been the effective pitches that have come my way um mm-hmm. one example was an is so one of my one of my side hustles was a freelance book editing service and Ah, uh, one of the ways that I got clients was by, you know, adding myself as a preferred vendor to this company that taught self-publishing. And so, hey, you probably have, you know, your students are probably asking, Oh, where should I go for editing services? Can you add my name to that list? And because I had a relationship with the guy teaching the course, it was like, Oh, sure, you know, happy to happy to do it. Um, so I think you can kind of get a foot in the door some some way, somehow, um, to make that a little bit easier, but it could just be you know a win win. Um, trying to think of another example from
1: of what that might look like.
2: Mm. Anything that's been effective for you on the partnership front?
0: Yeah, I mean, what you said just on introduction is perfect. Uh, referring people you i mean. Um, Get an introduction from someone who you already know that's perfect, but sometimes a lot of times um, that doesn't happen because um, the person, the person or the business that I'm trying to approach, um, I don't have any contacts who know them. But uh, giving value first, for me, I mean, uh, my experience is, is, is a great way to, like you say, get the foot in the door first. to get your foot in the door and then uh, maybe start step your way into a relationship, so don't uh, ask, ask for something really easy for them from them and just provide value first. And then after you have a couple of interactions with the person, then you start to get into a, a more uh, comfortable relationships. And then you can ask for more and take it from there. Right. What my experience was.
1: Yeah. Okay, Nick. If...
0: um. So I know there are a lot of things that uh, people needs to do to side hustle their way out of uh out of their job and into their full-time business but if you can only give one advice to them what would that be
2: keep your expenses low because the number that you're really trying to replace is that income to replace your expenses a lot of people want to you know, set out to replace the current level of income hopefully you're living below your means in the fastest way to get out of the rat race is to build another income stream to expe- to
1: replace those expenses cool
0: regarding this one keeping your expenses low I see a lot of, a lot of people I mean uh, want to be uh, full-time business owners they focus on the wrong stuff a lot of times so for example, they might want to uh, have a really nice website or maybe a fancy logo or maybe um, they, they think they need to have uh, very nice business cards before actually <laughs> um, have a solid idea or maybe even building the audience. So would you say that um, uh, building the audience is, is more important than all this fancy stuff, Nick?
2: Well, especially starting out, you know, you spend on the freelance side, you don't need a website, you don't need an audience, you just need to find somebody who needs your help and try and make a deal with them. Um, I, I, I get these messages from from people all the time where it's like, I'm still working on, I'm waiting on my logo, waiting on business cards. It's like, go go sell something, like you don't even know if this is going to work yet. It's 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 frustrating to see. Um if if you must if that fe- if that's going to make the business feel official to you to feel more legit like by all means but just do it do it quick you know get it out there and and move on to the next thing I've got business cards in my drawer from like businesses long ago that you know never had any reason to pass out business cards like why did I have them made so It just didn't even didn't even matter
0: Yep cool So Nick if people want to Uh, How can they find out more about you and learn more about this side side hustle thing?
2: Sure. So we mentioned sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. That's a fantastic place to start. Uh, No opt-in required over there. And of course, we'd love to have you tune into the side hustle show with new part-time business ideas every Thursday.
0: Okay. And how can they access that podcast?
2: Through iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, wherever podcasts, you uh, know, whatever your favorite podcast player app is, it should be available.
0: Okay. So just search for Side Hustle Nation.
2: Yeah. Search uh, Side Hustle Nation, search Side Hustle Show. It's the one with the green cover art.
0: All right. Cool. Nick, thank you again for being here today and sharing your experience and skills about side hustling.
2: You bet, man. Thanks for having me.
0: If you're not listening this on our website, go to academy.birdsend.co/six to get your show notes. This show is brought to you by Birdsend email marketing tool, the only email marketing tool specifically created for online course creators. Get your free forever account at birdsend.co. That's bird as in the flying bird, and send as in sending emails. Birdsend.co.